Hello and welcome to Fans, a podcast hosted by me, Sachin Akrani, in which I speak to people I like, find interesting, or both, about being football fans. And joining me for this episode to talk all things Fiorentina is football writer, football inspiration, the Serie A Suprema herself, Chloe Beresford. Chloe, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, I was keen to get you on when I, when I was drawing up my list of... Um, the guests to, to get on this podcast. You're very high up on the list. And the reason for that is... Oh, I'm honoured. No, I'm honoured you're on. Thank you for coming on. And, <laughs> and actually, the reason um, you were so high up on the list is, I mean, this podcast is all about hearing people's stories in regards to the club they support. And as part of that, the fascinating reason why they support their club they do. And there is definitely a fascinating reason, um, or indeed reasons, behind you being a Fiorentina supporter. So uh, we're going to get into that during this podcast. It's, for me, really, really interesting. But before we do... Um, I want to talk about how we first got to know each other because that in itself is is quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. So um, four or five years ago, I hosted a Liverpool-specific podcast called uh, The Runner. Uh, it was part of the Anfield Index uh, group of podcasts and involved me speaking to various journalists about Liverpool and also broader topics. And um, One of the episodes I did focused on Syria, so I wanted to get a couple of Italian football journalists on to talk about, about the division and decided to invite... Um, Adam Digby on, who I know you know very well, sort of the Juventus expert, isn't he? And, uh, yeah. and yourself. Uh, so, what, so that was great, and you came on. But then what followed was something I've never experienced before or since, either on a podcast I've been hosting or one I've appeared on. And that is one of the people involved completely freaking out, <laughs> uh, which was you. Um, it was. <laughs> now, so what happened, uh, just before we started recording, you had basically a bit of a mild panic attack. And you're saying yeah. that you couldn't go ahead with the episode. You weren't up to the task. You basically sounded really stressed and edgy. And it took me and Adam, who before then had never spoken before, <laughs> basically working together to calm you down and reassure you that you, you know, you'd be great on the podcast. And well, it was only a podcast. So, you, know, you shouldn't get too worked up about it. Thankfully, um, you calmed down and we proceeded with the episode and it went really well. Um, now, I was going to tell that tale in... Uh, in a bit of a piss-taking way, to be honest. I was going to tease you about it um, and, make, uh, and pull your leg a little bit. But then in preparation for this podcast, I decided to listen to the first episode of the podcast you do, Curve mm-hmm. Calcio, um, which we'll talk about more, uh, in, more, in more detail shortly. And while doing that, I was somewhat stunned to hear you talk about the incident yourself and describe how it was a really important moment for you in the context of you becoming an Italian football journalist and specifically a female Italian football journalist. So I'm not going to tease you about it. I'm not going to pull your leg. I'm not going to take the mick about what happened uh, when you came on the run. Instead, um, take it far more seriously and ask you, do you want to talk about that moment and that period of your life and why it was important? And it, was kind of, it felt like listening to the episode of Curvel Calcio where you talked about it, the first episode of your podcast, that it was a really important moment for you in your development as a journalist. It was, it was. Um, and I knew you were going to bring it up. <laughs> I um, couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Yeah, no, it, it was. I mean, I just, um, I, I sort of explained on, on my podcast that you listened to that I um, had always loved football. I'd been um, to watch Stockport County with my dad since I was like 11 years old. Um, and he taught me, I just used to ask him questions to the point where like he was so patient and then all of a sudden he'd be like right just watch the game now (laughs) Um, and you know I learned so much about football from him and 
um, he didn't treat me any differently than than anyone you know than if I'd have been his son rather than his daughter mm. so uh, you know when I was young I didn't feel any different to any other football fan but then you know as you start to grow up you kind of realize that people when you speak even when you know what you're talking about they don't take you seriously mm-hmm. um and you know there was there's times when um i've heard people t- you know um, basically men talking absolute nonsense about football stuff that I know is totally wrong and you know I sort of kept quiet because I didn't want to put myself forward even though in my head I had all the knowledge and yeah so I kind of I'd always wanted to be a football writer but I'd kind of gone away from that um, for various reasons when I was when I was younger and and I'd come back to it through um, going to Fiorentina and, and, and finding a connection there. I'd started sort of just blogging about Fiorentina and I was quite happy writing about it because um, you're not, it's not putting yourself out there in the same way of speaking about it. Um, I found it quite, um, you know, it, it, w- it was safer in a way. Um, yeah. And so I started, I started blogging about Fiorentina, um, you know, just for free. And, and I was quite comfortable with that. And then, um, and then I started writing for Football Italia about Fiorentina, which, you know, every every time I made a step up, it it sort of felt really amazing to me. Like, wow, Football Italia, you know, I used to watch that when I was a kid. And Mm. um, so yeah and then they they suddenly asked me to write about Milan and I had a similar kind of freak out moment about that and thinking well I I, you know I've only been writing about Fiorentina and um every kind of step up that I made was a a big deal for me and then um I'd been writing some stuff for the Gentleman Ultra that ended up on the Guardian um as part of that agreement that they had with them and I think that's probably where you first noticed me or um yeah seen I think that rings somewhere. a bell yeah I've seen yeah, yeah. seen your byline for for the Guardian and um yeah I think that almost yeah. that's where my attention was drawn to you yeah and then I think before you asked me I'd done one podcast where it was like a short um snippet really just just asking me about Batistuta and and I even kind of freaked out about that even though I I knew what I was talking about so um to come on with you and someone like Adam who um was a lot higher profile than me and it, it just all was just too much for me it was um I think putting yourself out there when you care about football very much and when it's very personal to you and it's something that you care about it's not just it's not just um talking about the score line or you know something mundane it's talking about it's a part of you that's being shown to everyone and i think as a as a female, you, you think, oh, I'm not going to know what I'm talking about. And, and people are going to assume that I'm an idiot. And you know, it's all that that goes through your head, all that self-talk. And, and um, yeah, I, I just had this terrible fear of it. But rather than 
give in to that fear i've really worked on it and mm. um you know a few different people have, have helped me through it and uh, as you can tell for the way i'm talking to you now it, it, i just don't have that fear anymore yeah no absolutely i mean i, I was really moved by your recounting the story in your own podcast because it, as you as you've said it really linked back to being a, a young female football fan watching stockport sort of either being told to kind of stay you know don't don't give an opinion stay in your station if you like and um or just being ignored completely because you're a girl you're a girl at yeah. that time and obviously growing up and yeah so i mean i just thought I didn't even think about it. I didn't sort of see you as a female football journalist coming on the podcast. I just saw you as a journalist. And so I thought that's a bit bad that she's freaked out. And I didn't realise that it was linked to sort of like childhood trauma in a way. So deep rooted. Yeah. yeah so. and I, I, as well, I was going through quite a difficult time in my personal yeah. life as well. So there were, there were other things going on in the background that, you know, um, I've since come through and now I'm obviously much happier and calmer and everything. So um, it was all kind of all, all happened at once at that very moment of doing your podcast. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you said on, on your, on, on the episode of Curve Culture that you, uh, that you recounted this story that um, I think I've got your exact quote here. You completely messed up or you completely messed it up on the, the runner episode you were on with me and Adam, I can assure you, you absolutely didn't. I mean, you had the, uh, you had the panic attack at the start where I was genuinely freaking out that this episode wasn't going to go ahead. But after that, you were great. You were really fascinating. You and Adam it, were great. Well, I, I, it's funny, isn't it, how your memory tricks you? That yeah. it, doesn't, um, it doesn't feel that way to me. It feels like it was a disaster. But I think it was just the whole thing felt like a trauma. I think that was... Yeah that was why oh no i get that i listen to myself i listen to myself back doing this podcast and i sometimes think oh god i sound horrific so yeah we're all we're all self-critical but let's uh, we will get into your love affair with fiorentina very shortly but let's just focus on your career because uh, i mean i called you an inspiration in the intro and i genuinely do believe that because um so you set up um curvel Caccia, which is um so through that you're doing the podcast you do regular newsletters um yeah i subscribe to that relatively uh, relatively recently basically ahead of the new season i thought I'd, i'll uh, sort of reignite my love of italian football as well having grown up in the 90s watching it on channel four and i've uh, yeah the newsletters have been great i've really enjoyed them they're really really well put together um the sort you. of mix of youtube clips and, and information and sort of features as it's andrew tonali did a big piece on him the milan youngster which is really yeah. interesting the pods are great um so is this is this your full-time career now have you you've turned this sort of little business uh, well, I say little business, a business from sort of a homemade, homespun business into something that is now your career. You, you've done that from scratch, haven't you? That's pretty amazing. I, yeah, I have. I, um, I kind of, um, I obviously went through school and A-levels and I got, um, you know, good results there. And it was really expected of me that um, I would go to university and, um, you know, they, they kind of, the college that I was at suggested that I went to go and look at Oxford and and all this and at the time it I just wasn't ready for it it felt mm. like so much pressure um and I I went to University of Manchester and I was doing French and Spanish with the sort of view that if I wanted to write about European football that languages would be helpful and and I loved languages as well that you know I'd, I'd loved them at A level and um I just I found that I didn't like the course. It just wasn't for me. It wasn't the right time in my life. And I had a part-time job um, just working in a library. And I just, after a year at uni, I just gave up and, and, and went to work in the library for a bit. And my life kind of went 
on a different path for a while. Um, mm. But it was always, you know, through all that period, still absolutely love football, still watching Stockport County live, you know, uh, live matches home and away. Um, and still had this love of um, Italian football from watching Football Italia like so many of us did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just kind of happened by accident that, um, we'll probably talk about it more later, but my dad found this connection, family connection with Fiorentina and um, I started blogging and it just kind of, it went from um, writing for free to uh, then being paid a little bit and then being paid enough to reduce my hours at work so that I was writing part-time and working part-time and to now where I'm just you know doing it full-time and it's it's such it's such a dream come true it's such you know I feel like this is where I'm meant to be this is always what I meant to, was meant to do I've been fanatical about things like you know before we had the internet cutting out newspaper cuttings watching highlights videos on repeat you know I was just absolutely immersed in the world of football from mm. from being 11 years old and um and now I get to kind of um share that with other people and you know put like this morning I've been putting together a weekend preview and I love finding all the information and um yeah it's just it's absolutely it's absolutely brilliant and um yeah it's definitely where it's definitely what I'm meant to do yeah and what's a sort of split in terms of people who subscribing to the podcast and newsletter uh, geographically are are most of the people coming through the UK has the UK got quite a big Syria following in terms of followers of clubs like yourself yeah yeah um I think so many people have um grown up watching watch a lot of it so much of it comes from football italia and i think yeah because that was on for free Mm. um during the 90s when um the premier league went on to uh, sky tv that you had to pay for and not all families could afford that um it's it's definitely come from that um there's a a lot of people sort of in the us and australia as well who who love italian football and that I think um, that's more to do with perhaps um, people who um, maybe a couple of generations ago, their families have moved to either America or Australia from um, from Italy and they've got those Italian roots and they like to keep in touch with those roots. So there's various different reasons. I think the demand for English speaking content of Italian football is, is still high. I mean, um, obviously they're not, it's not at the level it used to be in the 90s. We've not got the same calibre of players necessarily. Mm. But I think the, uh, the excitement and the, uh, the passion is, is, is there and, and people love that. Yeah, that 90s explosion and it's kind of an iconic period for, for football, isn't it? There is just that generation of fans. I think we're both in it. I'm very much in it. I'm 30, 39. So... I was uh, 11 when Italian football started on, on Channel 4 in 1992. And it's just such a huge moment in, in, our, in the generation of people who are watching football in the 90s. It's just, you know, the way you're talking about it, the way I sort of feel about it, it, it was just such a special time, wasn't it? When, when it came, as you say, because English top five football went to Sky, uh, we lost that as terrestrial TV viewers, and then suddenly Italian football comes on, which at the time was the biggest league in the world. As you say, had all the superstars. 
uh, Mark Evan Baston and Hullet and uh, at Milan, and you had you know, Mateus and Klinsman, um, Bremer, I guess, at Inter, and Baggio at Juventus and Viali. Um, it was just huge, wasn't it? And, and as you say, it's left a legacy for people in this country. James Richardson obviously did an amazing job. Um, and you kind of have to check yourself sometimes because now we live in an era of internet. You, you, can, you can go on Google and in seconds you can have a look at the Colosseum or you can watch a live webcam of, of Florence or, you know, whatever. You can just see yeah. it. But at the time, the only... Um, images of Italy that we would have had would have been from books or um, and so to see somebody sitting in a cafe reading an Italian newspaper it was pretty it was pretty special um, and because because I um, supported uh, Stockport County and obviously went to the matches um, Stockport is only it's less than 10 miles away from both Manchester United and Manchester City so as you can imagine in my class at school most of the kids supported one or other of the Manchester teams um, and I was like really proud to support my hometown club even though it was a smaller club mm. um, so I kind of grew up with a I don't want to watch the Premier League because my team is Stockport County and so Italian football was a great way of watching better players and more talented players and not feeling disloyal to <laughs> my English club yeah, um, yeah so yeah and you know watch it I, we kind of all, always knew that we had some kind of link to Fiorentina in the family although we didn't and my dad hadn't quite found out what it was um so I always um cheered for Fiorentino I loved Batistuta you know he's just like my favorite player ever um as if with a lot of people but we kind of had a reason to support them and 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 that was that was pretty cool as well yeah well let's get on to that then your your love of Fiorentino as you said there you you did grow up a Stockport County fan um from you're from Stockport but you do love Fiorentino uh, so uh, it's an interesting tale how you got from, from one to the other. Uh, and it's a tale that's got probably more twists than usual suspects, I'd suggest. Um, so let's go back to the very start. And, and you touched on this. It, there is a family link uh, to your love of Fiorentina. And that specific family member is your great granddad, Peter Percival. Uh, do you want to talk about that's him right. a little bit? Yeah. Um, so um, he uh, was just a, a normal man um, from Reddish in Stockport. Just a... Um, you know that my nana grew up in in just a, a working class area um, but she said that he was always kind of she remembers him as always very athletic he could do he could um, he could do handstands and like walk on his hands and things like that and um, she remembers that from quite a young age um, and he um, he sort of had a career on the brink of kind of making it to the big time but not quite mm -hmm. um so he signed um for Manchester City in the in the 1930s and that Manchester City team um was it had um Matt Busby it had um Frank Swift and there's a lot of other um names in that team that that City fans all who know the history of the club will probably recognize um and when it came to the 1934 um, FA Cup, my great granddad was um, kept out of the team by a, a, he was a winger, a number seven, 
and uh, he was kept out of the team by a man called Ernie Toesland. And in those days, they didn't really have substitutes, so it's not like he was named or anything on the on the team sheet. He was he was just a reserve. Yeah. Um, he played two first team games for Manchester City, um, it, and yeah, so he was very much kind of in the background of of a, a team that was really great. They won the FA Cup that year, and then um, because of their links with Thomas Cook, the travel agency. They uh, were booked to go on a post-season tour of Europe, um, and they um, they played some games in France. They um, and then there was games scheduled in Italy as well. I think they stayed in Genoa, um, but there was this um, special match versus Fiorentina uh, arranged, and this was in. Um, 1934 and Fiorentina were only founded in 1926 so obviously for Fiorentina it was a massive deal to play Mm. the English FA Cup winners a team from like the home of football you know Mm. Um, and a couple of the um, City players had gone off on international duty with England they'd gone to play a game in Hungary so um, my great-granddad Peter Percival got his chance to play against Fiorentina it's in the same same stadium um, it is now. Obviously, it was during the time of Mussolini, so the the Fiorentina team were doing fascist salutes before the match. Um, you know, it was in quite an interesting era historically. Um, and the, would Mussolini? Sorry, would Mussolini have been at the game, given it was City were coming from England, the FA Cup winners? Do we know? We've never, no, we've never, I mean, my dad's done a lot of research and yeah. we've never uncovered that. So I don't think so. But uh-huh. um, the people that were in attendance were the Italy 1934 World Cup team. Okay. And they, because they're based just down the road in Covacciano, which is just okay. uh, a very short distance away from, from Fiorentina Stadium. Mm. And so there were people um, like Giuseppe Miazza, um, you know, the really, really famous Italy players who would go on to win that World Cup in Italy. Um, and they were, they were stood on the sidelines watching my great granddad play football um, mm, yeah. in the same stadium that they play in now. And um, he got that chance. The match finished 3-3 and he actually scored in the game. So... Um, and it all came from my dad had a photograph of two, the two teams lining up, and on the back of it, it just said Peter in Italy, mm. because um, my dad's granddad died when my dad was only three, so he didn't get any chance to talk to him about it. He was a very humble man. He didn't talk about his football career. But when you think, you know, they stayed in a hotel called the Grand Hotel in Florence, and I've been inside it, and it's like it's out of this world it's you know just so posh it's it's something like 1300 pounds a night to stay there wow and this ordinary working class guy from Stockport, you know with all the treasures in florence and and you know just thinking being in florence myself and seeing what he saw it's just amazing to me to think that he it must have blown his mind really it must have been like nothing he'd ever experience yet he never talked about it i mean what's amazing is so you you know your family's discovered um this amazing aspect of your family's history that you you know your great granddad your dad's dad played a city manchester city in florence during the time of mussolini scores a goal 
uh, away to Fiorentina. Um, but before we get to how, you know, in, a, in that, that in itself could make you a Fiorentina fan, but actually so mm. much happens in between that time, which I find really interesting. So the first thing I think is really fascinating is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the first game, the first football match you went to was at Main Road to watch Man City versus Aston Villa in the 90s. And it think, was, yeah. Yeah, and most people, it certainly happens with me, and I think with all the guests I've had so far on this podcast, Matt Jones, Tim Stillman, and, and Chris Skull, is we've all had that same, we've all had a similar experience, which I think most people have, is when you go to your first game, you just fall in love with football immediately. You know, you see the, the big green pitch, you know, you hear the, you know, the smell of hot dogs, um, the, you know, the roar of the crowd, the floodlights, if you go to a night game, all the cliches in a way. And it just makes you immediately fall in love with football. But that didn't happen with you, did it? You didn't get no. that, that connection when you went to City. Yeah, um, it was, uh, I think, 1994 it was. Um, mm. And there, there were some, I mean, looking back at the team sheet now, I mean, you know, players like David Rocastle played for City. It was They were good players and good teams mm. at the time. Um, but we sat up right kind of up in the gods. And it, I remember it being really high up. Um, I'd never really, we'd never really ventured much into Manchester, so it was an unfamiliar place. Um, and my dad had, it was like Easter weekend, and my dad had just like got tickets from a friend of his who was a season ticket holder, and and yeah, it, it just, I was just, it was just really underwhelmed by it. The players looked really small, yeah. Um, uh, I have to say, the best thing about it that I can remember is that my dad bought me a pie. <laughs> um, That's not a good sign if they're your first, your biggest takeaway from going to a football match is the food and not the not the football. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. it it really didn't it really didn't grip me, and um, you know, up until that point where obviously. Uh, Maybe, um, maybe, but if I'd been a boy, you know, I'd have kind of been exposed to football at a younger age because, uh, you know, playing football or, or whatever. But at that time, I was always aware of that football was always on in the house. And, um, you know, I've got vague memories of Italian 90, but it, it hadn't, it just, it just hadn't gripped me at all. Um, and it wasn't until I got free tickets from school to go and watch Stockport County that, um, that was the moment where everything changed. Yeah, and again, that's really interesting because the reason it changed for you is because you had that connection. Because, um, as as you've said, that because now you're suddenly sort of you know close to the close to the pitch. I mean, Edgeley Park isn't it? Stockport's ground. I um, yeah. I've been there. Um, I actually did work experience at the Stockport Express in January two thousand three oh, for wow. three weeks. Yeah, so I've got a bit of a soft spot for Stockport. I was doing my yeah. journalism course um, at City University in London. And you had to do a placement at a local paper for three weeks at the turn of the year. So I, I joined mm-hmm. in late. My course started, it was a one-year course, started in the autumn of 2002. And it ran until the summer of 2003. And then in the January, we, there was like 30 of us. So we all had to go do a placement for three weeks. And I, and I, went, to the stop, I went to Stockport Express. I had a brilliant time. So I've got a real soft spot for Stockport. And, um, County were quite good then as well. Uh, Carlton Palmer. Was, I don't know what's yeah. actually. Carlton Palmer was the manager. I think it was struggling, actually. Um, uh, you'd say yeah, as well, Stockport. Yeah, yeah Stockport was after they was good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I do remember they weren't great. And there was a, I think I went to see two <laughs> games. One was against Swindon that you lost and the fans mm-hmm. were in uproar. But I uh, should say as well, obviously people listening to this who won't know the geography of it, Stockport's south of Manchester, isn't it? It's very close to Manchester. Um, yeah, it's only about 10, 10 miles south yeah. of Manchester. So, so loads West, of, so, maybe. Yeah, there's quite a few those sort of satellite towns and cities around Manchester, like Bury and, and a few others, and, and Stockport's mm-hmm. one of them. But anyway, so yeah, I know Edgeley Park really well, and, and when you do go there, it's quite a small, tight ground. And 
you're very close to the pitch. You're very close to the action. You can hear the players talk if you're sort of in the front row of, of the of, you know of the stands. So again, yeah. So that so through that experience, you became a Stockport fan. So you were a Stockport yeah. fan growing up. Um, yeah. So that again, I mean, so there's more twists and turns in this because that really could have been your life. You could have just grown up being a Stockport fan. But I think the thing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that brought you back to being uh, eventually, or I should say, eventually took you to being a Fiorentina supporter is, as you said, you, you were kind of developing this love of language and wanting to be a, um, uh, maybe write about European football, having, I think you said uh, on, on, on the podcast you did about watching uh, Revista de la Liga in the sort of late 90s, early noughties. Yeah, yeah, Balaguer was, yeah. yeah, Guillaume Balaguer was a bit of a hero. You also, you wanted to follow in his footsteps. Um, and then your mum, if I'm right, took you and your son to Florence, oh, sorry, to watch Fiorentina play away at Hellas Verona in um, February 2014. It's quite an exciting game. Sorry, April 2014. April, yeah. yeah, ended mm-hmm. uh, 5-3, I think, to Fiorentina. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was your first yeah. trip with, to Italy. Uh, so obviously an amazing experience, uh, that alone. But also you loved um, the beauty and the culture of Italy itself. And then three weeks later, you were hospitalised with a gallbladder infection. And on the podcast, on the episode of uh, Curvel Calcio, you, you talk about this and you say something that's utterly profound and incredibly beautiful, that you're saying that when you were hospitalised with your infection, it was really bad, you, you in quite a bad way. Uh, and I think I've got this exact quote here. So that night you said, I closed my eyes and I thought of Verona walking down those beautiful streets. That's, that thought saved me, that thought, uh, the thought of going back to Italy. Uh, it was a huge turning point in your life. I mean, you're in pain, you're in, you're in hospital, you're struggling with your health. And the thing that kept you going was, was about uh, was the thought of going back to Italy, the, you know, experiencing the beauty of Italy again. And it was that moment, correct me if I'm wrong, Chloe, where you became an Italian football and an Italy obsessive. Yes, it was. Um, yeah. You know, uh, it was a really, really, um, they say that a gallbladder infection is, is one of the most painful things you can go through. And, and I can certainly... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I can certainly confirm that. It it, it was really scary. Um, they saying things like, "Oh, your liver function's really low," and you know, I I I didn't know the pain was so horrendous that you kind of convince yourself that you're going to die. Mm. Um, and obviously, it it um, they got me straight on antibiotics and on, on intravenous, and um, I was okay in the end. But um, yeah, I just. it was only three weeks later and I just like I said like you said I just closed my eyes and I took myself back there where Italy is like such a place of of beauty and it was so kind of serene and yeah uh, it it was it was a a really kind of uh, almost a spiritual moment really it was like sounds it it. yeah it really it was really profound and it and it really it gave me a reason to 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 want to get better and to, Mm. you know, to want to, um, it was almost like a nudge in the right direction that this is your, or or a slap in the right direction, maybe, um, that this is your future. And this is, this is what your, this is where your path lies. And did your, and did your mum take you and your son to, to Verona in April, 2014, um, specifically because, Fiorentina were playing at Verona and the link with your granddad, it was some sort of way sort of uh, um, touching base with that aspect of your family history. Was it, was he linked um, to that? Yeah, it was because, it was because um, a, a sort of six months or so earlier, my dad had 
um, been to Florence with his friends. Um, and that was like the first time my dad had seen um, the stadium and, and where his granddad had played. And, um, you know, he had a really crazy experience where, you know, if you if you go and watch Italian football as an English person, if you go to watch, if you go to San Siro or if you go to Juve or if you go to one of the, like Roma or one of the bigger clubs, like they they are used to tourists, they're used to people mm. going. But if you go to Florence as an English person, um, they're very, because it's a one-team city, they're very kind of insular and they, and they, um, they protect it very fiercely because the rest of the city is overrun with tourists. Yeah. So like the football and the stadium is, is sacred to them and it's theirs. It, they don't want outsiders really. So when my dad went, they were kind of like, well, what are you doing here? And, you know, they were almost a little bit hostile. Mm. And then he, he went into a pizza place after the um, match. And, and uh, one of the ultras that spoke good English asked him and, and my dad told him the story. And then immediately they were treated like heroes. There was a, he said that all of a sudden there were like beers coming from everywhere, <laughs> just being passed around. And, yeah. and, and they really kind of, they really welcomed that group and they really um, wanted to find out more. And, you know, it, it very quickly became a friendship. And so um, my dad had arranged to go back to meet up with these ultras um, and Verona specifically because they have a Gemalaggio, a twinning with Verona. So it's all very friendly yeah. and the, the different groups of fans kind of mix in the stands. It's, it's not really segregated. Um, so he knew really that, that I had always loved Italian football and he knew that I would love to go. And so my mum had just retired from work, taking early retirement, got like a, a lump sum of money. So um at the time I wasn't in a position to be able to finance it myself so they they my mum and dad kind of paid for me to come with them and my son came too and uh yeah that was my that was the reason why we went to that game mm. in particular yeah and then your first trip to Florence uh was if I'm correct the 6th of October 2014 uh yeah. to watch Fiorentina versus Inter Milan at the Artemio Franchi Stadium which is Fiorentina's home we should say um yeah and it couldn't have been a better experience, could you? Because Fiorentina won 3-0. And uh, the pre-game experience was just as good as the game itself, wasn't it? I believe the, uh, you had quite a show put on by the Fiorentina Ultras. Yeah, they, it was the match where they, they did um, what they call choreography, which is when they put out the flags to make either a word or a picture. Yeah. So, you know, walking into the... Um, uh, I have to say as well, I have to add that... Um, that weekend was my dad's birthday. Okay. So um, one of the ultras that I'd made friends with had got wind of this and they'd organised a big party for him, um, which is just like, it was just so surreal. And there were about, there were with quite a few of us come over because other people who had gone to watch Stockport County with us in the past were kind of curious. So there was probably about 15 of us came from Stockport and including my nana and granddad because my nana wanted to see where her dad had played. Mm. Um, and then about 15 of these Fiorentina ultras in this big restaurant, um, having this celebration for my dad's birthday, which was just utterly bizarre, <laughs> but absolutely brilliant at the same time. Yeah. 
Um, and then, yeah, so then the match, uh, it, it was like when you go into um, Fiorentina Stadium, there's like a concourse as you go in. And then there's like a, as you walk forward, there's like a gap and some of the seats are above you and then some of the seats are below you. And I walked through this gap and looked up and behind and then I could see this sea of flags, all purple. And I just, you know, I just got chills. And I think, you know, I think from, to from what we've talked about, you know, about being close to the pitch and close to the fans, the thing I really love about football is um, the community spirit, the fans, the... Mm the kind of all the feelings that are associated with it and seeing that like that and and uh Fiorentina won three nil some great goals scored um somebody had taken a really excellent picture of my dad and me uh, having a laugh and a joke that's one of my favorite pictures um during the game and I just turned around and I said to him I just can't believe that we're here you know after watching Italian football all that time as a youngster wanting to get in to be a, a European football writer and never really quite getting there and and then to be there in Florence mm. like that it was just you know I, I just I felt really emotional so is that the night, the 6th of October 2014, Fiorentina 3 into at the Artemio Franchi, is that the night you well and truly became a Fiorentina fan? Yes, yes. Yeah. It was being there. It's, it's very different going to a home match than an away match. Yeah. Um, it's, it's such a great experience. And, and also having met some of their fans the night before and forged kind of new friendships yeah. and felt a bit like you were very, very fortunate to be accepted into this very specific group that don't really like outsiders. It, it, it was, you know, I, I still feel very lucky even when I go now. I, I just, as I said, I just think it's such a fascinating, remarkable story. You know, a girl from Stockport becomes a Fiorentina <laughs> fan via her yeah. granddad having played against them for Man City in the 1930s. It's a remarkable tale. And as I said, you know, on route to that you could have been a City fan but that didn't quite happen yeah. for you you were a Stockport fan but your affection had moved away from them as well I mean actually let's touch on that Where, what's your feelings towards Stockport now because you were a season ticket holder weren't you as well for a little while is there a team that you still yeah. consider, do you still consider yourself a Stockport fan? Oh absolutely yeah I mean uh, yeah. Um, I had a bit of a difficult relationship with going to watch County when um, they went into administration and I think it was about 2009 mm -hmm. um, and they the company that came in as administrators they got rid of the manager who's Jim Jim Gannon who's actually back at the club now but um, it it I just loved Gannon as a manager so much he you know he really has planted himself at the heart of the community in Stockport he's very um he's you know he speaks to the local people and he's very much involved in community stuff and he you know uh, and also he did so much for you know he got county promoted and he saved them from relegation he's been such a great he was an ex-player and he's been mm -hmm. such a great coach and they just the, the administrators just made him redundant and it, it literally broke my heart at the time. I, I just could not get my head around it. And mm. um, County went into the non-league. They went into actually um, National League North, which is the one below the conference. And I just, 
you know, I tried going to a couple of home games and it just wasn't the same for me. It just, you know, other people, credit to them, they kept going and they, you know, they still kept supporting the club through thick and thin. But I just, I couldn't, it just, it felt like the heart and soul had been ripped out of the club. Yeah. Um, and, you know, since then they've, they've been, I mean, they got promoted in um last not last season the season before um back up into um the conference which is now called the national league but um so i've i've kind of come back to watching county um a bit not like i used to but um yeah i'm still very much i'm still very much a stockport county fan it's just that experience kind of really really scarred me and changed the way I felt a little bit so it's almost like you know when you've when you've been hurt by something really badly you're kind of very tentative to get back into it because you've already been burned right let's focus on Fiorentina specifically then um so two times winners of Syria in 1956 and 1969 six times winners of the Coppa Italia most recently in 2001 uh, winners of one European title, the Cup Winners' Cup in 1961. How are they viewed in Italy uh, in terms of status and size? Um, I think they're probably just above the middle. Mm. Um, maybe like the eighth or ninth best team, something like that. I think uh, they, they've probably slipped in that regard. Like You mentioned those trophies, but... They've not won anything since two thousand and one, and that's a long time ago now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they've they have kind of slipped back a little bit and stagnated, I would say. Um, but I think they're they're viewed in in Italy as like an inverted commas proper club with proper fans. Um, but obviously, at the moment, they're not they're not what they once were. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to modern Fiorentina shortly, but let's go back to the 90s, which was, feels like a really iconic decade for, for Fiorentina. So they were relegated to Serie B in 1993, mm-hmm. uh, promoted back to Serie A after one season, and that sparked what you can probably call the Gabriel Battistuta era. Uh, you touched on it <laughs> earlier. Um, club, uh, just an icon for the club, isn't he? He was their top scorer for six successive seasons, having also been their top scorer for the previous three. Um, and that was prior to his move to Roma in, in 2000. Uh, in total, he got 207 goals in 332 games for Fiorentina, which is an astonishing strike rate, and especially given he wasn't playing for one of the um, kind of historically elite clubs in Italy, like Juve, Inter Milan. Um, yeah, do you just want to wax lyrical about Battistuta uh, in terms of his <laughs> impact and importance to Fiorentina in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, in that season you mentioned uh, in Serie B, he stayed with the club when he could have moved away. Um, from sort of looking into his background and stuff in Argentina, like he's he's a bit different than your you normal footballer. He didn't really want to be a footballer in the first place. He was very shy and quite reserved. And, and I think he was quite reluctant to get into that profession in the first place. Mm-hmm. Obviously, after um, success in his home country, a scout from Italy came to find him and he went over to Fiorentina, which was probably the best piece of business Fiorentina have ever done. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he, he fell in love with the city of Florence and I can, I can totally 
like I can totally understand how he, he felt in that regard because it's completely intoxicating and 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 he formed this bond like three of his four children were born in Florence um, and obviously as a as a striker um, he had he had really everything he he had the power to shoot from distance um, he, he could use either foot on his head and he's, if you look back at a goals compilation of Batistuta he scored such a range of goals yeah, yeah. Um, you know that his talent was just unbelievable and um, I can't really think of anybody else who I mean, you could argue who is the best striker ever and you could make different arguments for that. But I don't know anyone else that's, that, that plays the way that he played. Mm. Um, and yeah, so he, he just formed this massive bond. And in, in the height of his, you know, there were games where Fiorentina played United or Arsenal in the Champions League. And there were big teams after him, the likes of Real Madrid and I, I think Manchester United as well. And he turned down those moves because um, he was so enamoured with Florence. And, um, you know, not many players really do that. They always make the best decision for themselves and their careers. Mm. But he loved that bond that he had with the fans. He loved um, the adoration that they gave him. And it meant something to him. So he wanted to stay. I mean, that weekend when I went to the first, my first ever Fiorentina game in October 14 was actually... He was actually in town that weekend. Um, I, I didn't go and stalk him or anything. But, <laughs> um, he, it was an a, a award ceremony and he was given kind of, he was like put in the Hall of Fame and everything. And he, he cried his eyes out. You know, it really meant something to him. And How come it took until um, 2014 to get Gabriel Battistucci in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. It, it's Italy. These things <laughs> take time. Fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so, it, you know, it really did, it really, um, and it obviously eventually went off to Roma and he won the yeah. Scudetto with them. And I think that kind of ticked a box for him in, in the fact that it meant that he'd actually got a title win under his belt. Because you can't be a player like that and have nothing to show for it, really, no. can you, at the end of the day? So, yeah, um, he's just, he. I mean, he comes back every so often now and, uh, he says it feels like home and he's he's still got the real bond with Florence and you know for a lot of people going back to the people that watch Football Italia in the 90s he, his um, machine gun celebration his mm. purple shirt his long hair it's so iconic of the 90s isn't it and um, yeah it, I just I just can't say enough good things about him really. Yeah. I was just about to say that I think one of the reasons he is this figure that transcends Fiorentina really for that generation of people who watched football in the 90s as you say is the is the is the visual elements of him so he had that yes. incredible long hair um his celebrations you know on machine gun celebration he says it was was consistent and just eye-catching and the shirt obviously Fiorentina have a unique shirt as well that that purple shirt but uh you know I close my eyes and I can see the seven up uh, sponsorship on, on yes. the front of it and then the Nintendo one as well um, yeah. it's just something about that shirt with Batistuta's hair um, sort of moving over the top of it him, his machine gun celebration it's just so iconic and as you say it really is worth watching a, a goals compilation um, of, of his best goals because there is every type of goal in there he could do everything and I, I wonder a little bit because I really don't think we talk about him as, as much as we should do. And I, I just wonder, I don't know what your take on, on this is, if he was slightly overshadowed, not overshadowed, but his, his real impact was diluted somewhat 
by the fact that he was playing in an era, especially in Italy, where there were so many good centre forwards. You know, Ronaldo, yeah. the Brazilian Ronaldo being the obvious one. I mean, if, if Batistuta was around now, um, he'd probably, oh, you know, he'd probably be the world... would be flooded, wouldn't it? Exactly. He'd, he'd be kind of probably recognised as the best striker in the world, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, in the social media era, can you imagine how many clips there'd be of him? Yeah, no, it's an incredible <laughs> yeah. strike. I mean, the goal that... That when I close my eyes, the goal I see is definitely the goal against Arsenal at, at Wembley mm. in 99 in the Champions League. I watched it back again in preparation for this episode. And yeah, he pushes the ball past Nigel Winterburn and that inside right channel just bursts past him and then smashes the ball over David Seaman from a ridiculously tight angle at the near post. Uh, yeah, it's like nobody else goal. would even think about shooting from there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's sort of yeah, Van Basten-esque almost in terms of the angle. Mm. It's remarkable. And it's, it's all there. It's the skill, it's the ambition, it's the grace, it's the power. In that, I think that one moment sums up that season. A phenomenal, phenomenal striker. Bergkamp, va a Vieira. Chiricano lo ferma con grande tempismo. Cercato troppo dal punto di vista estetico Vieira. Molto più pratico, Chiricano. Irish. Anche un discreto tiratore Irish appoggia per Batistuta. Si allunga il pallone. Batistuta! Rete! La rete di Batistuta! E può essere un gol storico questo per la Fiorentina. Ha chiamato il pallone, lo ha voluto lui e poi ha freddato Siman. E il delirio adesso per i tifosi viola presenti a Wembley. Un gran gol quello di Batistuta. Merita di essere rivisto. Guardate Heinrich. Allarga Batistuta. Prende sul tempo Winterburn. È da posizione quasi impossibile. Fredda Siman. Un gol davvero alla Batistuta. Guardate Heinrich dentro. Batistuta si allarga. Destro secco. Boom. Fiorentina in vantaggio. And during that era in the 90s, I mean, Fiorentina had a really good team. They finished third in Serie A in 98-99, uh, which led to them playing in the Champions League and, and then facing Arsenal at Wembley. Uh, some really good players in that team alongside Batistuta. So you had Francesco Toldo in goal, the likes of Pasquale Padolino, Jorg Heinrich, Rui Costa, of course, and the madman himself, Edmundo. Um, <laughs> is that squad recognised as being Fiorentina's greatest of all time? Probably. I mean, I think in Florence, um, I'm trying to think is a lot of the bars and restaurants around the stadium have got pictures, pictures up. And I, they do still recognise, obviously, the, the two Scudetto winning teams in the mm. 50s and 60s. They've, they've got a lot. But, you know, there's, I'm thinking there's um, an iconic place called Bar Marisa, which is just outside the stadium. And it, it's a really big meeting point and they've got uh, a really cool picture of uh, Batistuta and Rui Costa and um, I think those two as a pair um, are thought of as probably the best pairing that Fiorentina have ever had for mm. sure um, they you know Costa assisted Batistuta so so many times and um, yeah it's definitely it's definitely a very romanticized view of that team and quite rightly so you know yeah, no, high-quality team. That's it. To finish third in Serie A during that era as well, when Milan, Juventus, Roma, Lazio were, were so strong, I think is, mm-hmm. is saying something. Um, so let's go back to your personal experiences of visiting Florence and visiting the Artemio Franchi Stadium. How many times since October 2014 have you been back to the city and back to the grounds? Well, I was actually counting up before we started. And um, since then, I think I've seen Fiorentina 23 times. Wow. I don't know. Most of those are at home. Yeah. Um, try and go maybe four times a season. Mm. Um, but 
um, obviously <laughs> that's come that since March this year has come to a bit of a halt. But yeah, um, hopefully we'll be able to get back into doing that again at some point. So what's Florence yeah. like as a city then? It's not one I've been, I've been to Rome, I've been to Milan. Um, yeah, I think they're two Italian cities I've been like. Is it very different to those two cities? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a Renaissance city, so it's all um, sort of um, 1600s-ish where, where it was the real golden era of architecture are you know you've got um the uffizi gallery where they've got things like um botticelli, botticelli paintings you've got um statues carved by michelangelo you know it's it is a real hotbed of art and architecture obviously the duomo is is fantastic that's um, by an architect called brunelleschi mm. um and it i think it's the world's biggest unsupported dome or something like that made out of bricks and and architects now are still quite puzzled over how we pulled it off as well which i find interesting yeah but yeah people come people come for the art a lot and you know you see the cues for the uffizi and stuff and they're, they're just crazy but i actually think the best way to enjoy florence is outdoors hmm. it's, it's like an outdoor museum and there's um a really good if you've ever seen pictures of Florence you probably they've probably been taken up on Piazzale Michelangelo which is um it's accessed by you sort of go across the river and then up very very steeply and there's this vantage point of looking over the city and it's just amazing and I also like the area around the stadium we quite often stay there because it's it's handy and it's close but it's just like a little local neighborhood mm -hmm. and you get to see like the real people that live there because not many people live in the city centre it's now become too expensive and a lot of them are like uh, people who own very expensive holiday homes um, that that live right in the centre um, so yeah it's a, it's a little neighbourhood in itself and uh, you get to see the old people doing their shopping and uh, before the match if you go for a coffee on, on match day but before a long time before the match starts you see like a dad and his boys and he's filling in his coupon for uh, the, you know, like the betting on the matches and, and the little boys are playing. And it's all just lovely, really. I, I really like the area around the stadium. Excellent. Well, let's talk about the stadium, the Artemio Frankie. So it was opened in 1931. So what, just a few years before the great granddad played there. Not three mm -hmm. years, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. Capacity of 43,147, according to Wikipedia. Um, yeah, do you just want to talk about the stadium? The, so the geography of it as well. So is it, um, how far out is it from kind of the main hub of Florence? I mean, you said there's a neighbourhood area around it. Uh, and also just the, the sort of the feel of it compared to sort of the more iconic grounds that people in this country know about, such as the Olympic Stadium and uh, San Siro, etc. Okay, yeah. So um, it was... It was built by an architect called Pierre Luigi Nervi, and he's um, he was a, an expert in concrete. And at the time, Mussolini, um, if you've ever anyone has ever been to the main train station in Milan, um, you see that that kind of concrete architecture was very prominent in fascism. Um, mm. And it's it's a very good example of Art Deco architecture, and then this um, very creative way of using the concrete. Um, it's about 30 minutes walk out of the city, so not too far. It's mm. got its own train station at Campo di Marte, which is right next to it. Um, it's 
it's quite funny because <laughs> Stockport County have their own railway end. The railway, the, the train tracks run around the back of the stand and, and so do Fiorentina. <laughs> they don't call it the railway end, but, um, <laughs> well, they, they do in Italian, but yeah, um, yeah so they, they're, they're the train station right nearby. Um, I think it's just far enough out of the centre because in the centre, obviously, there's mass, mass tourism. There's loads of people mm. following little flags that have come off cruise ships and the locals get quite, obviously, quite rightly, they get a bit frustrated with with all that, even though it's good for their economy. Mm. Um, so it's nice and quiet where it is. Um, and yeah, it to me, obviously, to, to me and my family, it really means something because a member of our family played there. But... Um, it is really kind of starting to crumble now. It's almost like a, a listed, what we would call a listed building because it's such a unique example of architecture. So they're having problems, especially with the bureaucracy in Italy, with getting to um, getting it properly renovated. And, um, you know, um, they, they really want to build a new stadium in its place, but um, getting the permission to do that is very very difficult so um, I'm not sure what's going to happen obviously it means something to me and my family mm. but um, yeah the, it definitely needs something needs doing with it because a lot of it is quite run down now yeah well, I think it's the case with a lot of um, grounds in Italy isn't it? I, went, I mean other Italian yeah. city I visited I forgot to mention most recent it was Naples um, uh-huh. um, to watch Liverpool play Napoli there twice actually in two seasons we lost both games in the Champions League <laughs> Um, do you remind me the name of the stadium? It's got it's, uh, San Paolo. San Paolo, of course, yeah. And yeah. it's basically as it was, I think, when they did it up for the 1990 World Cup. I mean, I don't yeah. think they've had any work done on it since then. And when you go there, you yeah. see that it's um, it's a really kind of atmospheric, um, beautiful ground in a way because it, it just feels like you're stepping back in time. But at the same time, architecturally, it's it's in a bit of a state. So, yeah, maybe a common theme yeah. in Italy. Um, let's yeah. get on to a modern Fiorentina then. So, the first thing to say is, am I right in saying, the Fiorentina you're watching now, that people are watching now, is is technically a different club because they went bankrupt, did they? Is that right? The start, yeah, the, in two thousand and two, yeah, two thousand two. So, is they now called yeah. ACF Fiorentina? Is that correct? ACF Fiorentina, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is that is yeah. it a completely brand new club, or do they still attach themselves to the history of the club that went before? Oh yeah, they they've merged yeah. now with the the history of the rest of the club. They see it all as one team. It was just kind of a, a technicality of getting around this this bankruptcy that they went through. Mm. in in 2002 yeah um they finished 10th uh last season under giuseppe Iacchini, if i pronounce that right yeah 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 Kini, sorry yeah uh 10th under him last season um 100 start to the new Serie A season albeit after one game that's off uh, recording uh they beat torino on the opening day um they're going to play probably after it uh, or before this episode goes out um what are the expectations of the club for this season um, the, their expectations are a little bit better. Um, mm. They had 17 years of ownership under the Della Valle brothers who were um, who owned the shoe brand Todd's and they, they bought Fiorentina after the bankruptcy and they, they did quite a lot in the beginning to sort of resurrect the team but after that they just let it stagnate they didn't want to invest they, mm. you know uh, and any success or relative success that happened was incidental really because they just didn't put the money in Hmm. um but last um sort of a year ago last summer uh an american businessman uh, rocco camiso bought fiorentina um and i think there's a lot more there's a lot more positivity and a lot more hope um he's 
um, obviously a very wealthy guy, but he's not throwing money indiscriminately at the club. He's building from the ground upwards and um, I think investing quite sensibly. So the, the results are probably going to improve, but I would say they're going to improve gradually because he's not like doing a PSG where they just come in and splash the cash around or anything. Mm. He's, he's trying to do it in a sensible and sustainable way and he's trying to get the stadium um, either a new one built or redeveloped or whatever because... Um, the problem with the Frankie and like you said with the San Paolo is the council own these stadiums. Okay. So the, the council don't, they've got no incentive to redevelop them, them because it's not going to earn them any more money. So they just leave mm. them to stagnate. So um, hopefully he will be able to, to get the team firing a bit better and, and, you know, get them back really where they should be, which is, I would say, um, challenging for Europe. Excellent. Well, fingers crossed for them this season. And as I said, I will be following it via your newsletter and podcast <laughs> and uh, other means, shall we say. Um, Chloe, you've been absolutely brilliant and also uh, very patient. Uh, we'll let the listeners in behind the curtain a little bit here. We've had major technical problems recording <laughs> this. Uh, the signal's not been great. We're doing this via Zoom. Um, so if uh, listeners, if you're listening to this and there's a few kind of hard cuts, hard edits, uh, that's because we've had to stop and start a little bit. But Chloe's been brilliantly patient during that. And uh, I, do, I do thank you for that. Um, so, yeah, a couple of things. The first thing is uh, your all-time Fiorentina 11. Obviously, you get the people yeah. on this podcast um, to, to provide their all-time 11. And you've done the same, which is really, really great of you. Now, to be clear, this is your all-time Fiorentina 11 based on plays you've seen live. So there is no yes. back of future in this team. We've got to emphasise no. that before people... Sadly not. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and also before people lose their shit on social media. So let's just yeah. emphasise that. No Batistuta because Chloe hasn't seen him play live. So it's a 3-5-2 formation. Um, Neto in goal. Your back three yeah. is Gonzalo Rodriguez, David Astori, Manuel Pascual. Uh, midfield, yeah. Juan Cuadrado, uh, Borga Valero, David Pizarro, Alberto Aquilani, and Juan Manuel Vargas, uh, Vargas, should say. And up front, Mohamed Salah and Joaquin. Um, a name, there's, well, there's two names that really stood out for me, which we'll come on to in a second. But the other one that stood out for me was David Astori, uh, Fiorentina's captain who tragically died from cardiac arrest, I believe, in 2018. Yeah. He was only 31. Mm-hmm. An incredibly yeah. tragic event. Do you just want to talk about the effect that had on the club and the city? Oh, enormous, enormous effect. Um, yeah, I, it was obviously such such a huge shock because you don't expect somebody who's an athlete just to mm. just to, to drop dead very suddenly. The team were um, in the hotel in Udine for an away game with Udinese. They'd been playing PlayStation uh, the night before. They went to bed. And in the morning, he wasn't there at breakfast at the agreed meeting time. And that, you know, that was unusual for him because he was the captain and he was very punctual normally. So they had to go up and they found him in his bed, which was just must have been just awful. He died in in the night in his sleep. Um, And, you know, Fiorentina fans really showed what they're all about. They're all about heart and passion and um, they became... They came out in numbers for his funeral. They, um, you know, they, it was it was just a really kind of heartbreaking time. But the the city really rallied, and um, you know they've got this rivalry with Juventus. And when um, 
some of the obviously some of the Juventus team have played with Astori in the Italy national team like Buffon and Chiellini and when they turned up um, at the funeral the square was filled with Fiorentina fans and somebody suggested that they went in at a side door and Buffon said no 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 we're going in through the front Mm. And they went into the front and the Fiorentina fans um, applauded the Juve team, which obviously is completely unheard of. Yeah. It's a real, real hatred in normal circumstances. So um, it did. It had a massive effect. It, it, um, I went to the match that was kind of one year after his death and they'd made flags um, for everyone to wave that said Astori 13 on them. And um, being part of that was kind of uh, surreal. It, it it felt like it felt like you could feel his his presence that he was there because he was there in the memories of the people. Everybody was mm. talking about him. Um, you know, everywhere you went, there was some kind of trace of our story and what he'd meant to the club and and how he'd conducted himself. So it it really did feel like his sort of legacy lived on and it was a very strange feeling of, of a, a kind of a presence of um somebody who who had passed away yeah. no i mean only 31 remarkably young yeah hugely try and as you say the captain of the club as well um yeah. yeah two players i've got to ask you about being a liverpool fan are alberto aquilani and mohammed salah um aquilani first uh strange career at liverpool because he's kind of mm. viewed as Lop at Liverpool, but I think that's that's quite harsh. He came in the summer of 2009. He arrived injured from Roma. Uh, it was a really difficult time at the club. Um, he was there to replace Xabi Alonso, which was which was a huge task in itself, but made yeah. more difficult by the fact that they're very different players. As I said, he was injured. The team was in a bit of turmoil. Um, so yeah, he doesn't doesn't live fondly in the memories of most Liverpool fans. But he's in your all-time Fiorentina eleven. Um, how good was he for? For Fiorentina, did he come? I'm not sure if I'm right on this. Did he come straight from Liverpool? Or did he go straight from Liverpool to Fiorentina? I can't remember. You know, I'm not yeah. sure. Um, but he, a lot of the players that I've selected are from the Vincenzo Montella, the first era, which was um, when he um, won. Um, sorry, not won. He finished fourth three seasons mm. in a row and got to a Europa League semi-final, and that was just a really fun team to watch. And Aquilani mm. was part of that. Montella brought the best out of him. Um, he's actually back at the club now. He's um, coaching the youth team. So, oh, wow. um, you know, he's clearly got a good rapport with Fiorentina. Mm. Um, I think. I think it was. I think a club like Fiorentina was probably his level. I think probably mm. Liverpool was a bit above what maybe what he was capable of but yeah um a really a good creative kind of player that was um that kind of made things happen in the midfield yeah no I think he was good at Liverpool when he played he was um as I said had huge injury problems um mm. a difficult time at the club he, he rarely featured but when he did I thought you could see he had talent uh, so it's a shame for him and the other one as I said is Mohamed Salah um become a superstar at Liverpool. He fuss, I've got to be honest, Chloe, he frustrates me a little bit at times. Um, mm. I think there's, I mean, I love this team for obvious reasons, this current Liverpool team. There's one player in there that makes me bang my head against the wall sometimes. It is Salah. Um, you know, in one game, he'll miss a sitter and then also score the goal of the season. He's, he's a really infuriating, yeah. strange player at times. I mean, how good was he at Fiorentina? And are you surprised at all by how well he's done at Liverpool? I'm not surprised in any way whatsoever. I mean, mm. he came um, to Fiorentina um, as part of the deal that saw Quadrado go to Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, you know, 
he was kind of cast aside by Mourinho. No, you know, he didn't really come with a very big reputation. Um, in fact, not many people had even really heard of him. Um, mm. And he, he joined in the January on loan. And it was just like somebody had let a bomb off. He just, um, there was a, a Coppa Italia match uh, against Juve. Um, it was a two-legged semi-final and Fiorentina went and won the first leg in Turin and he just made Juve's defenders look like chumps. Really? Um, wow. his, his explosive pace, his, um, you know, he was just, his spell at Fiorentina, like you could not fault it whatsoever. No. He just, he had a big point to prove um, and nobody could cope with him. He just went on a, in those six months, he went on a rampage. Pull forward from uh, Kurtic and Salah's got the pace here. Takes on Padouin. Gets away from Padouin. Into the box. Salah! What a finish! Mohamed Salah puts Fiorentina ahead with a wonderful counter-attack. Did it all himself. Had the pace, the poise and the skill and the power to finish it off and away goal for Fiorentina. But it kind of ended on a sour note because the story goes that he'd agreed on an 18-month loan and that he'd actually kind of signed an agreement that meant that after that first six months that he would stay on. And mm. he, he kind of, you know, it, it was a really good period in Fiorentina's um, kind of history and he was taking selfies with the fans he was wearing the scarf he was kind of professing his love for the club and then at the end of the season he basically wriggled out of this agreement that he'd had to stay for another season and went and signed for Roma and it was a big kind of it just left a really bitter taste and I didn't feel that he um although he was an excellent excellent player I didn't feel like he was a very genuine person somehow. Mm -hmm. um, that's just a feeling that I, I got from Fiorentina. But um, yeah, I, I think the whole, the whole reason why he was so good at Fiorentina was because people weren't expecting it. I think maybe now people are a bit more wise to the way he plays and stuff. But um, yeah, it was, it was amazing to watch him. Yeah, no, he's been, he's been remarkable for Liverpool. I mean, the numbers alone are incredible in terms of his goal. His goal return, but just watching him play in full flight, he's, he's an extraordinary footballer. But yeah, frustrating at times, but uh, mm. fully fully worth the frustration given what he's <laughs> yeah. uh, given to Liverpool and achieved for us as well. So no, phenomenal player. Um, Chloe, brilliant. One final question before I let you get off. Uh, it's, it's the question I end this podcast with, uh, end every episode of this podcast with. Um, if Fiorentina could give you one thing in the next five years, and it has to be realistic, so no four Serie A titles and a 10 0 victory <laughs> over Juve. Uh, what would you ask for? Um, I'd ask for um, a Champions League finish, so fourth place or above. And I'd ask for a Coppa Italia trophy because I think the supporters um, really, really deserve some, some silverware. And I think mm. it's been far too long. Great answer. And very realistic, I'd suggest as well. Yeah. Oh, Beresford, thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs>